Hi, I'm Cody Goff with a special sponsored podcast episode from Curiosity.com. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about the science of cooking meat to help you make every cut of meat you have taste absolutely delicious. And don't worry, if you don't really know how to cook meat, then we'll make sure you walk away with the knowledge to get started. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox, and you'll learn about how to choose the right cooking method for different cuts of meat, how to figure out the perfect temperature for your meat, pro tips for searing and tempering, and the best way to capture that juicy flavor, including the science of what's actually happening to those juices while you're cooking. Our guest is ButcherBox head chef Yankel Pollock, who cooks on camera at the ButcherBox test kitchen and teaches a free online course for cooking meat at ButcherBoxUniversity.com. We asked Chef Yankel where he starts with his education. If someone doesn't really know how to cook meat, then what comes first? Let's satisfy some curiosity. So, yeah, there's a huge learning curve, but you can get over it pretty quickly. There's basically two concepts that I like to start with. The first one is going to be what is that particular cut of meat as far as where it comes from on the animal? Because that's going to be your first clue in terms of what to do with it. That breaks down into more used muscles, less used muscles. The other side of it is then going to be choosing the right cooking method for your cut of meat. So you've got choosing your cut of meat based on where it comes from and then choosing the right cooking method for that particular cut of meat. And once you put the two together, if you have a general sense of like, this is where like a, a New York strip comes from the loin, loin is a pretty not used muscle as far as locomotion goes. It kind of just sits there. That means it's going to be tender. If it's tender, that's going to take me to a high heat, quick cooking method because I don't need to super tenderize it. It's already there. So you kind of have to give yourself a little bit of an education in terms of like, where do these particular cuts come from? It can get really confusing because if you go to the grocery store, two different grocery stores are going to have two different names for what could look like the exact same cut of meat. Uh, which drove me crazy early on in terms of like naming our cuts because the beef industry has so many different names. Most of them are not consumer facing. So very like straightforward. You wouldn't want to sell a piece of meat using like the butcher's name for it necessarily. And it doesn't give you a clue as to what you should do with it. Really? What are some examples of meats that you might find with a couple different names at different stores? So you would have a beef shoulder roast. You could have, which is, which could also technically be a chuck roast, which could also technically be a variation of the chuck roast or the shoulder roast, such as clawed roast or seven bone roast. And all of those are referring to almost the same muscle, if not the same muscle group. And all of them can, can be cooked exactly the same way. Yankel told us that he uses a primals system to break down which meat is what to make it easier for you to figure out where the meat's coming from. So primals are kind of these large cuts that um, with, a, with cattle, for example, they'd be broken down into. You would start with you've got your chuck primal and you've got your sirloin, you've got your loin, you've got your round or rump, and then you've got brisket and a couple of other areas. And and then from each of those, you break them down into subprimal and then into smaller cuts where eventually you're going to get a steak or a roast. So the primals themselves are, are good indicators in terms of what you should do as far as cooking goes. Anywhere there's locomotion, so shoulder or back legs, it's a well-used muscle. And the well-used muscle means a lot of connective tissue, high collagen. And what that means is you need to treat it a certain way for it to be tender. 
And uh, that's basically your starting point. So as soon as you know what that cut is, where it comes from, you're going to be you're going to be able to choose the right cooking method. Then it, then it comes down to executing that cooking method properly. On that note, I think that cooking methods can get really intimidating because it feels like there are a lot of rules for cooking meat. But I know a lot of those rules are really myths about stuff like whether or not you should rest the steak after you cook it, whether or not you should sear it. Do you have any favorite myths about cooking meat? Myth number one is that searing locks in juices. Big old myth. Really? Yeah. So... Searing does a lot of things. Locking in juices, not so much. And I'll t- we'll take it to resting in just a moment. So when it comes to searing, the first thing that happens is what we want to do is produce what's known as the Maillard reaction. So the Maillard reaction is this nearly unheard of, I guess, unless you're a professional uh, cook. And even in that case, maybe not. Um, it's an, a reaction when you've got sugar, or uh, reducing sugars, very simple sugars, and amino acids or proteins reacting under high heat. And what happens is when they come together under a particular temperature, they reproduce flavor molecules and aroma molecules. So the difference between a raw piece of meat and a cooked piece of meat on a molecular level is you're actually going to create the flavor and the color and the smell that makes it appealing. So when you sear, that's what you're doing. You're searing, and then you're basically creating the flavor on the spot. As far as juices getting locked in, what actually happens is the water, which is basically the juice in the meat, rushes towards heat. So when we put it on a grill or we put it in a pan, we're actually pulling juices away from the center. So the resting process is to soften, to reabsorb the juices that have ran towards the heat. And that is basically what you're looking for is that super juicy bite, which will come from giving it that resting time. So I like to break down like the rules for cooking meat into sort of a few simple steps that if you don't skip them and you kind of follow them, you're generally going to be all right. It's generally going to taste pretty good. So the first one would always be searing. And searing is just a direct heat method, right? You're looking for a high heat and that can come from pan sear, that can come from putting something on a grill, putting something under a broiler, anywhere that you are getting the protein very close to a heat source, a direct heat source, is going to give you that browning and then therefore that flavor and that color and that texture. Uh, After that, it comes down to having a good meat thermometer and knowing whether you are done when you're done with the high heat or whether it needs to cook at low heat for collagen connective tissue breakdown, like a braise, for example. If you're going to do a brisket, um, it needs a tremendous amount of low temperature time to give you that really tender consistency. And for me, that really just comes down to a good meat thermometer. So everyone wants, you know, the cookie cutter, how do I cook steak perfectly? Just tell me like step one, step two, the exact amount of time, et cetera. That's possible if every piece of meat's exactly the same. But I feel like the more you know about what's happening, the more you're gonna be able to work with any kind of meat. So a simple steak, for example, let's take uh, your your classic um, strip steak, maybe an inch thick, uh, a few inches long, right? So you're going to sear it on both sides. Two to three minutes is about how long it'll take to give you a nice brown surface. Uh, One thing I like to do is pat dry steaks first, because what we want to do is we want to initiate the Maillard reaction as quickly as possible so that we don't end up overcooking the steak over time. And any kind of surface moisture will evaporate, but it'll first boil 
at 212 degrees. So as long as we're at 212 or below because of moisture, we're not getting to Maillard, which happens at around 280. After that, it's how much time it's going to take for that internal temperature to get where your preference is. When it comes to grass-fed, grass-finished beef, I tend to go a little bit lower on the scale. So for me, rare starts around 110 degrees to 120. Um, and then at every 10 degree increment, you'll have your next temperature. So medium rare would be 120 to 130. Medium would be 130 to 140. And you're getting, you know, it'll be a little bit warmer inside the steak. Um, the color will change a little bit. There'll be a, a difference in the protein fiber because more moisture will escape the higher the temperature goes. You mentioned grass-fed beef. What's the difference in the actual meat consistency between grass-fed and conventional? One of the big differences is fat content. Uh, and that's particularly because on a grass-fed diet, cattle are going to gain fat a little bit more slowly. It's, it's just a lower fat, lower protein, lower energy diet. Uh, because of that, fat really acts as an insulator for the proteins. So proteins contain a large amount of water. When you have fat they basically allow the protein to cook without the water evaporating as quickly. So what that means in terms of cooking is once you reach the, the temperature point where the moisture is going to evaporate more quickly, the less fat, the faster the evaporation, and then the faster your chances of overcooking. So when it comes to cooking a grass-fed, grass-finished steak, some a ca cattle that have only eaten grass in their diet, you're still going to have nice fat presentation. You're still going to have kind of the same tenderness as anything else. But what you aren't going to have is that additional insulation that'll come from a grain or a corn diet. And because of that, once you hit 100 degrees or so and rising, you can have almost a 30% faster cook rate. And that means that if you turn around for a minute, you come back, your medium rare steak is now medium well. So that's kind of the key where that thermometer comes into play. And it takes a little bit of practice to really lock it down but uh, that's the thing to look out for. I have a question about the temperatures. I'm guessing you as a expert, you know, experienced chef, don't maybe use the thermometer every single time you cook or do you? And, and like what I would imagine is that you kind of get used to it and you, after having some experience, have ways of maybe eyeballing the temperatures or, or having an idea of, let's say, when something is, let's say, done are there rules of thumb that, you, that you're able to share? Or do, you, do you recommend? I mean, certainly if someone's starting out, probably recommend using a thermometer. But uh, at what point do you kind of cross that bridge? All right. When I started working on hotlines and restaurants, I was a grill cook. I crushed it. I cooked so many burgers at the same time. It was ridiculous. Hmm. I worked in restaurants next to Fenway Park, and it was just meat, meat, meat all day long. I um, could eyeball the temperature on a burger from 10 feet away. I could tell you exact internal temperature. And that was purely based on the size difference between the raw burger going on and how much moisture it's lost and the amount of time it's spent on the grill. So I learned to temp meat more by eyeball and touch than by thermometer initially. Now, when it comes to texture, so you can actually sort of feel the textures, the varying textures on your hand. If you were to feel where the fat on the inside of your palm next to your thumb is, you're going to go from higher up on closer to your finger where it's pretty tender. And as you move down, it's going to get a little bit firmer, a little bit firmer, a little bit firmer. So that's kind of what you're looking for. The looser it is, the lower the internal temperature is going to be. And the firmer it gets, the more it's cooked. Uh, a medium rare will always have this kind of springiness to it where you can press and it's soft, but then it'll kind of come back. 
And that's like a good starting point. You know, if it's really soft, it probably needs more time. Once you start to get firm, you're you're in the like medium to midwell range and you're probably good to go. So it's a little bit of the eyeball, like it, it, has it shrunken? Yes, then I, I, I'm, I'm well on my way. Is it, is, does it have a little bit of give? It's probably a good place to take the temperature. I always recommend having a thermometer, but if you wanna learn, try and guess first. Touch it, guess the internal temperature, then check it. One more thing about temperature, which is crucial. Meat has this thing called carryover cooking. It's gonna continue to cook for five, sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes longer if it's a really large piece of meat after you take it off the heat source. So people always ask me, like, I'm resting meat, you recommend eight minutes on a steak, it's gonna be cold in eight minutes. But the fact is the internal temperature is actually continuing to rise. Yeah, and that's why chefs recommend not taking a burger right off the grill and then pressing it down because doesn't that squeeze extra juices out of it? Yes, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep, let the juices reabsorb. I've, I've uh, yelled at many a cook for like, they're trying to hurry a medium well burger because they forgot to put it on the grill and smash it down with a spatula and, and there go all the juices. You know, just you, you really want to keep everything in there intact. And uh, sometimes that just means having a little bit of patience, letting it cook a little bit longer. One thing I really like to do, this is a little bit advanced, uh, but it's something that you can try at home. It's, it's a combination of the reverse sear method, which if you have you heard of that? No. Okay. So the reverse sear method is I'm going to cook the steak to nearly the temperature I want it very slowly at a low temperature. And then at the end, I'll add that crust. Uh, that's kind of also the concept of tempering. So if I had a nice big thick ribeye and I want to really tenderize that fat and have it be that melted in your mouth consistency, I'm gonna actually cook it very slowly at a low temperature for a long time. Eventually it'll hit rare to medium rare. And then I may let it rest first and then I'll give it a nice hard sear on a hot grill or in a hot pan. And you can do that at home in your oven. You can throw a steak in the oven at the lowest temperature setting, 175 or so. And it'll take about 25 minutes and you'll have a perfect medium rare steak, at which point throw it in your cast iron pan, get a quick sear and you're done. I was surprised to hear you say that you look at the exterior of a cut of meat to check how well done it is, because I've always heard you make a cut into it. You always make that little cut and then see what color, let's say, the meat is. Like if it's really red, it's probably not as cooked. So two things there. Number one, uh, don't cut into it unless you're ready to eat it huh. because uh, unless it's rested for a long time, because you will, you're basically chopping those protein fibers and they're just going to bleed. You're going to lose all that moisture. You want each fiber to be able to retain or get that moisture back before you cut into it. So looking at the external surface, it, it's more of a size thing, right? If, if, if an eight ounce burger, for example, starts at, you know, three inches in diameter, it'll lose 10 to 20% of its size as the moisture evaporates. To me, that says it's, it's medium already because that means that it's reached a certain temperature where that moisture can evaporate. So the inside has to be hot enough. Um, as far as the color on the inside of meat, again, that's the result of what's happening to the moisture as it leaves the protein fibers, where you're gonna go from bright, bright red to a slightly pinker to pinker to gray eventually. Although you can have a really well done steak, at least it's well done in temperature and it's still gonna be nice and pink in the center if you cook it properly, which is 
you know, plus or minus for some. <laughs> and I know Butcher Box also sells fish, like salmon, let's say. Is there a difference in knowing when that's done? Because like salmon's always squishy, right? No. So, so it's kind of interesting uh, that you say that because really the secret test is what the raw meat or protein feels like is going to tell you how to cook it. The firmer the meat is when it's raw, the slower you want to cook it and therefore the softer it'll get. The softer the meat is when it's raw, the hotter and faster you want to cook it and the firmer it's going to get. Salmon starts out pretty soft. As you cook it, it will firm up. Uh, with ButcherBox salmon, it's wild-caught Alaskan salmon, which means it is pretty lean, has a little bit of like nice wild fat in it, but it cooks really, really quickly. I usually, I cooked salmon the other night. I did it um, skin side down in the cast iron pan. Uh, it was searing there for about a minute. I added some garlic to the pan, some scallions, a splash of sake, a little cube of butter, and I had it skin side down the whole time. The last after about two and a half, three minutes, I flipped it over for maybe 30 seconds and it was done. It really cooks that fast. It, it, it sounds complicated, but there's really no, no deep technique to it. Put the, put the protein in the pan, let a little crust build up. You're going to play around with the temperature until you're comfortable, but you generally want to go on a higher heat versus a lower heat because the actual cold temperature of the meat may drop the pan down a bit. So you want to compensate for that. And once you have a crust, flip it back and forth. You can put it in the oven for a little bit and just kind of like feel it. It'll tell you. You know, we talked about the different cuts of meat on different parts of the animal. How about the bone in factor, the flavor that comes from the bone? Is that a thing? Yes. So what I love about bone in cuts is there's always this, uh, there's a little bit of fat that's always around the bone. You're always going to get a little bit of fat and a little bit of connective tissue and that browns up so beautifully that it, it will, it's not going to necessarily add flavor to the cut itself, but it will add aroma, which is, you know, a third of the experience at least, right? <laughs> yeah. So bone comes into play if you're dry aging. Sometimes um, enzyme from the marrow will help tenderize the meat over time. But other than that, it really is the aroma and then the spectacle factor. Uh, nothing better than, than, you know, chewing on a grilled bone that came off a ribeye, like that's all charred up and crusty. Ugh, the best thing ever. <laughs> Great advice. Can people find your recipes anywhere on the ButcherBox website, maybe? Absolutely. So on the ButcherBox website, there's a recipe tab. You get a ton of recipes there along with cooking advice. And then on our YouTube channel are lots of cooking videos, method videos. There might even be a Mythbusters video there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think I made one a while ago. There's definitely five rules for cooking meat. That's for sure. Uh, but yeah, visit the website for all sorts of information. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. And uh, we will talk to you soon, I'm sure. It was my pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Curiosity Daily, sponsored by ButcherBox. Again, you can find Chef Yankel's free online cooking course at butcherboxuniversity.com. ButcherBox makes it easy to get high-quality, humanely raised meat. And if your mouth is watering as much as ours are, then you're in luck, because ButcherBox is offering a special deal just for Curiosity Daily listeners. To see what that deal is, just visit butcherbox.com curiosity or enter promo code curiosity at checkout. One more time, that's butcherbox.com curiosity or enter promo code curiosity at checkout. And join us again tomorrow for a brand new episode of the award-winning Curiosity Daily to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. 
Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.